Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is New York Times bestselling writer, Mary Alice Monroe. Her latest novel is a middle grade novel, Search for Treasure, the sequel to her novel, The Islanders. Monroe is the New York Times bestselling author of 27 books, including the bestselling The Beach House series. Monroe also writes children's picture books and middle grade fiction, as I just mentioned. She is a member of the South Carolina Academy of Authors Hall of Fame, and her books have received numerous awards, including the South Carolina Center for the Book Award for Writing, the South Carolina Award for Literary Excellence, the Southwest Florida Author of Distinction Award, the International Book Award for Green Fiction, and her novel, A Low Country Christmas, won the prestigious Southern Prize for Fiction. Mary Alice, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. I listened to all that and I'm going, really? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every book is a challenge. Every book starts fresh. That's good. We can talk about that. Well, if someone listening hasn't yet heard about your new novel, Search for Treasure, how would you describe the novel, which is, as I mentioned, a middle grade novel? It's a second book in a series, and it was a series I was asked to write to bring kids out into the wild to help them feel connected to nature, which is what I do with my adult novels. It was an instant yes. I love this age group. So I would say this is a story about three children on a very remote barrier island, Devise Island, near where I live. And these children didn't intend to spend their summers there. They didn't know that they would fall in love, but through adventures and through through being stuck with no one else but each other and this place, they really do learn how beautiful and exciting the wild is. And they learn the names of what's in their own backyard and they're no longer afraid. And they build the best friendships as a result. That's great. Well, I wanted to go back for a moment, and I'm curious about what was your initial writing journey that led you to write and eventually get your first your debut novel published? I'm one of, I find there are two kinds of authors. There are those that always knew they wanted to write and those who come on it late in life. And I'm one of the former. Ever since I can remember, I had stories to tell. I wrote my first book when I was eight and I did have an animal, Willie the Wishful Whale. <laughs> I remember my third grade teacher saying, Mary Alice, did you ever think about being a writer when you grew up? And the reason that was significant was, number one, the mentorship of teachers is so important. But number two is I didn't know there was a job. <laughs> you mean I can be that when I grow up? It's what I always wanted to do. So I had a name for it. I wrote all my life. I'm one of 10 kids and we were always putting on shows and plays and circuses and whatever. And some of them can draw and some can write the music. We were a creative bunch. It was 10 of us, as I said. But it wasn't until, I mean, I wrote nonfiction for years. Mm -hmm. I was right for hire. I, and I taught English as a second language. I studied languages. That's what my degrees are in. I always loved communication, but it wasn't until I was put to bed. I was in my 30s and I was put to bed with my pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And my husband, who's a psychiatrist, said, Mary Alice, for as long as I've known you, you've wanted to write a book, but you always said you never had the time. I was teaching. Now you have the time. <laughs> so he gave me a yellow legal pad and a pen and said, write that book. So I was in bed for three months. 
And I started my first novel. And when I finished it, I like to say I gave birth to a baby and a book. (laughs) And it kind of goes to show you don't need the fancy office. You don't need a big new hot computer. I had a yellow legal pad and a pencil. So I joined a writer's group. And I learned not just about, you know, improving my writing and communicating with other writers, which is important and necessary. But I learned how to get an agent. I learned how to publish. This was pre-internet. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm that kind of old. I mean, this was all <laughs> word of mouth. So I volunteered and I tell everybody, if you're in a writer's conference or something, volunteer because I volunteered to drive agents to and from the airport. Getting an agent to say yes, if you're a writer is mm-hmm. is paramount. You don't get published without it. And I drove her and she was a captive audience for a good 25, <laughs> 40 minutes. And she asked me, what do you want to tell me about your book? She was being polite. And I told her. And she said, the one thing you want an agent to say, send it. That's all you want to say. Send it. It's getting him to look at it is half the battle. She read it and she became my agent. And that book was sold. And ever since then, I never looked back. I mean, it was sold for a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. But I kept going. I paid my dues. And it was... When I moved here to the Southeast, the Isle of Palms permanently, we had come for years, and I joined the turtle team to be a monitor of nests. And I had my instinct said, there's, there's something I want to do. I, wanna, I want my books to educate my readers. Mm-hmm. I had written five books by them and not big sellers, you know, mid-list books. Right. And I knew that I could create a world that I wanted to bring people from Chicago where I here to Isle of Palms and, and get to know the species. And because not many people knew about sea turtles, this was 20 years ago. So I wrote a book called The Beach House. And it was the I knew it was different than anything I'd written before. I used the backdrop of sea turtles to create my story world. And I my passion for the animals came through the characters. And it was my first New York Times hit. And when that happened, not only is it very cool for your career, but it was more importantly, greenlit my ability to continue in this genre that I sort of created for myself. Mm -hmm. And I've written that whole series, the Beach House series continues over 20 years and lots of standalone novels. And here I am all these years later, 25 years in the business. And the publishers from in print asked me if I would write for the middle grade series and do what I did for to kids, what I did for adults, bring them to my wild world. And that was last summer it came out, The Islanders. And this summer is its sequel, Search for Treasure. And it really does succeed, I believe. And not so much a species, but bringing kids to a place where they can unplug and get to the wild. And I think that journey started 20 years ago with the beach house all the way to today. That's great. Well, given your, your success and as you, as you explained how you um, started it uh, in incorporating information about the, the natural world and, and um, really teaching people in addition to, to writing a, a good story. I'm curious, what was the transition like for you to, to write for younger readers as well? 
It's a big transition. I always tell people who think I'm going to write for kids because it's easier that they don't know what they're talking about. Because <laughs> I have written picture books. And that, I think, is the hardest of all because you have to use language like a poet to write for those picture mm-hmm. books for young, very young. I love structured novels. I'm, I'm not, there's a plotter or a pantser. I'm a plotter from way back. The W diagram, all that's all about me. Mm-hmm. So when I approached it, I approached it in an academic way. I knew I wanted to write for this age group. I had a voice for it because the book that won the Southern Prize for Fiction had a 10-year-old boy and it just poured out of me. So it was an easy yes, but I'm not naive. I knew I had stuff to learn. So I must have read two dozen minimum middle grade books, both current because they're different. What's out there now? Who's my audience? As well as the classics that I loved. Why are they classics? What are the universals? I I broke down the books. And then I found where I fit, where my voice landed. And I really looked at those books long and hard. And when I wrote the first draft, I went to my grandson. I was now by now a grandmother, and I was writing it for him. He was 10. I had to pay him <laughs> to read the book. Oh, yes, I had to pay him. We were on vacation together. And he came back, and he said, you know, Mambo, that's what he calls me, Mambo. <laughs> he said, you know, I don't know, it was okay. It was kind of slow. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch, burn. <laughs> you know, my first editor said, no. So I took it back. I listened. And a good writer is a good listener. You listen to your editor. And I went back and I ripped it apart. And he was absolutely right. It was a slow entry. These kids, that pacing of kids' books is different. Right. You have to know it. And so I sped it up. I, I made it sharper. And he he gave it two thumbs up now. And it became a bestseller. So I must have listened in my editor, of course. He always listened to the official editor. And I am I feel very comfortable in the genre. I really do. I don't talk down to the kids. That's the other thing you never do with children's literature. You recognize that the issues that they face are very adult issues. Shame, depression, um, you know, relationships with your grandparents, your father, each other. But you deal with it with a kind of innocence mm-hmm. appropriate for the age and a sensitivity to the language. It's very different. Do That's your homework great. if you're interested. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I should add that, that these are, um, you're working with a collaborator on these middle grade novels. How does that process differ, uh, different for you when you're working on a novel solo? It's very different. It's the first and so far only time I've worked with a collaborator. I like it, but it has to be for the right reason. I knew when I started this middle grade series that I was under a time crunch, number one, because I'm also writing adult novels. Mm -hmm. And it was a risk. Not that I didn't feel I couldn't do it, 
but I wanted to share the responsibility and I wanted to get her voice. I knew Angela May. She was my assistant for 10 years, Mm -hmm. but she also has a history of journalism and she's an award-winning TV personality in Charleston. But more importantly, she had two middle-grade kids and her husband was a middle-grade principal. (laughs) She had her fingertips on the beat. So I wanted to write with her to keep myself and knowing that I needed to have this ear for that age group. And I do believe the book is better for having both of us worked on it together. That's great. So are you working on another novel for adults now? I am. I'm writing a novel setting, again, set against some natural phenomenon. This is the Ace Basin, which is a huge uh, conservation collection of land, mostly by landowners, the old plantation homes. 360,000 acres are in conservation between Charleston and Beaufort in the most beautiful natural estuarine park. And it's, it's a triumph of what we can do as families, as individuals to, to protect habitat, which is really the critical question right now, how to preserve habitat. And even Deweese Island, where the story takes place, the middle grade story, that is a small barrier island. It's private. People can live on it, but it's a private island. It's a nature sanctuary. It's a wildlife sanctuary. Everything's number one concern is the animals that live there. So you see how special it is that everywhere you turn, there's something, oh, look over there, there's a there's a bald eagle's nest and sunning in the along the bank is an alligator and you have wildlife everywhere. That's a treasure and one that I want our children to appreciate and to recognize when they see it and hopefully protect it when they get older. That's great. Well, what writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own stories or novels? I always give the same advice because it's it's classic. Young writers tend to, before they let anyone read it, tend to make sure the first chapter, the first three chapters are just perfect. I say, don't waste your time. You don't know you can finish a book until you write the beginning, the middle, and the end. And as Anne Lamott said, there's that shitty first draft. Mm-hmm. You don't know what the story's truly about until you finish that first draft. Let's your, let your guts come out. What are you writing? What are you trying to say? After you finish that first draft, you bring out the tool belt. That's when you use your craft to edit, to watch your pacing, to change your plot where necessary. Use your craft in the second, third, fourth, fifth drafts. The second thing is when you get it to be pretty clean, read it aloud and let your inner ear be your editor. That's your best editor for dialogue. Then you're ready to send it out. That's great. Well, I know that you also started a web show and a podcast, Friends and Fiction. Can you tell us about that? We started that. Me and Mary Kay Anderson, Patty Henry were friends. And we all had books coming out in late spring, early summer. And we were worried because our tours were canceled. And we were also very concerned about the booksellers, the independent booksellers, who whose livelihood depended on us coming. Because today, booksellers depend on the independent, independence, especially on the writers coming in and speaking and selling books at the events. So we started, a, we didn't know what a Zoom was. <laughs> we really didn't. And um, we started on her, Mary Kay's Facebook page. And 
I knew two other authors who were young, up-and-coming authors I really liked, um, Christy Woodson Harvey and Kristen Harmel. And I introduced them to the other two. And I said, let's just all, we're all in the same boat. Let's just give it a whirl. We started on Facebook. And the idea was we wanted to let people know our books were out, but also to give readers an opportunity to engage with us and talk about books. And we directed their attention to independent booksellers. We started with just our books, and it was hysterical. My God, we were limping through this Facebook Live, (laughs) but we made it. And then we got a little bit better. We hired a, a, a company that would help us sharpen our tools and make better productions. And we started inviting all these famous authors. And I remember the funniest one, one of our first was Kristen Hanna, who I adore. <laughs> and she could not get her voice to sound. Like sort of a common problem, right? Yeah. So we had her on the Zoom on Facebook Live with a phone that she talked to us with using her phone for audio. <laughs> That's how bad we were. They're quite polished now. And after the pandemic, I was so involved. We were inviting I mean, major authors come on the show, Friends in Fiction. I knew that for me, I spent so much time with going out in the wild and I just wanted a quieter lifestyle. And I started this middle grade series. I knew that the pandemic was over and so was my time on Friends in Fiction. I enjoyed every minute of it. So I left the show. It's still continuing. And I come on with my new books. So new authors are still coming on to the show. I highly recommend it. I loved it. But I needed more time. I needed more quiet and more focus. So it was, I had a wonderful run. Sure. Well, what novels have you read recently that you enjoy? Okay, um, uh, let's see. An adult novel, it's really interesting. I, I saw the Pachinko coming out on um, Apple Plus, the big production. And I had heard about the book and I studied Asian culture. So I really picked up Pachinko and I absolutely loved it. I, I thought I knew Korean history and I didn't. And the TV series complements it so well. And they have the translations both in Japanese and Korean with the English and it really adds to the whole story. You hear the language, you hear the history. So I think Pachinko for sure. And then for kids, I love to encourage people to read books that are against nature. In my books, I want the kids to read it and get outside. So I found an author who won the Southern Prize for Fiction called Smack Dab in the Middle of Maybe. And by the author is Joe Hackle. And H-A-C-K-L. And the reason I loved it is she brings kids to the wild. And and the awe and wonder of nature is very much alive in her work. That sounds great. Well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your novels and, and more about the novel that we've been talking about, Search for Treasure? Thank you. Um, MaryAliceMonroe.com. I do talk a lot about writing on my website. And sometimes I do retreats. And I, I like to think I'm a really good teacher. So if I ever do a retreat, I hope you come. I, they're far and few between. But if you read my books, there's a lot of information and especially the kids' books. On the children's page, you'll have videos of Deweese and Big Al, the alligators, and all the animals we talk about. So your kids will read the book and be curious that are these things real? Go to the website and you'll see all the videos and pictures. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with New York Times bestselling writer Mary Alice Monroe. 
Her latest novel is a middle grade novel, Search for Treasure, the sequel to her novel, The Islanders. And the novel is available now. So go buy a copy. And Mary Alice, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. And good luck to all, you, all the writers out there. Wonderful. Thanks a lot. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.